Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off, we need your support. The Tortoise Shack relies entirely on you, dear listeners, to pay it forward, to keep it free for everyone and make sure that we can keep having the conversations like the one that you're about to hear, which is about activism happening. It doesn't happen without your support. It's really that simple. So if you can, please click the link on the top of the podcast that you're listening to. It says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Join us for a month. There's no long term contract and you'll get instant access to our entire back catalogue of over a thousand podcasts i think i think it's over 1300 episodes at this stage entirely plea free and it's the easiest bit of activism you can do every month it's the price of a cup of coffee and a scone for you it literally is bills paid and mics on for us thanks for the support thanks for listening thanks for sharing and liking but please if you can click that link and just join us try it out that's all i'm asking i won't delay any further enjoy the podcast Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and Martin, we are back talking about something and it's again one of those podcasts where we're not just asking people to listen, we're asking them to listen and then take action afterwards. So it's kind of important that that we get stuck into this topic immediately. Um, so before, without further ado, uh, I'm not going to go through the, the, the silly um, make fun of my co-host today. We're going to get straight into it. We are delighted to be joined by political advisor of the left group in the European Parliament and part of the negotiating team of the EU's biodiversity strategy for 2030, Damien Thompson. Damien, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. It's great to be here, Tony and Martin. Thanks for having me on. No, it, it, look, um, look, let's, first of all, uh, if listeners are unaware what is the eu biodiversity strategy for 2030 let's let's get that elevator pitch in at the beginning yes so actually um so i was the negotiator for that strategy and the report and from that report we have the nature restoration law which is the first legal instrument that's within that um it's the flagship of the strategy and this is basically what's catching the news a bit now which is good that there's some public debate about it it's a really important new piece of legislation to put some uh, targets into into law um, to create a framework at EU level on on biodiversity, um, and I guess it's causing a lot of commotion at home because there's a lot of misunderstandings, there's a lot of misinformation, lots of disinformation as well about it at home about the implications of what it would mean in Ireland. So I hope today we'll be able to talk about what's in the proposal, uh, clear up a few things as well, and talk about the actual r- real necessity to bring in uh, restoration across uh, the country and actually bring nature back into our lives and how that's a good thing for everyone. Look, you're pushing against an open door here, but unfortunately, within the Irish government, based on some of the sound bites we've heard, particularly from members of of Fine Gael, um, some, uh, I'm going to say reticence or climate delayism is one of the is one of the terms we use quite often what yeah. kind of misinformation do you think that you've heard in the last few days uh, i could i we could start with richard bruton but we can you know he's he's only one of several who have kind of had this i think he he said that that you lost the battle because you used the word biodiversity or talking down to people kind of thing. yeah i believe that was yesterday in the doll i didn't actually get to watch the debate but over here in the European Parliament, of course, you need to remember that this is a very politicized agenda because we had the European Green Deal at the start of the mandate, which was a whole stream of new legislation and initiatives to try and, and get our act together in terms of climate and environment. We've gotten through a lot of it. We adopted a, a European climate law. You might have heard that back home as well and different um, revisions of legislation to get our, our emissions um, on, on a better um, trajectory. 
But uh, a big part of that, the second pillar of that is on nature and biodiversity. And now we're getting to the phase where the political context is quite turning. Um, the right wing in the European Parliament, the EPP, Fine Gael's group, have taken a hard line, very hard line stance on trying to kill this legislation, uh, in part due to um, uh, implications from, from the uh, Ukraine war, and part trying to also capitalize on a swing, what's perceived as a swing to the right across Europe. You might have heard of what happened with the Dutch elections in March, mm -hmm. the elections where there was a big reactionary force in the in the Farmers Party, the BBB, um, which unexpectedly won elections. And they're basically trying to um, cash in on that now and move farther to the right and give up on any sort of green environmental agenda. Uh, and basically, they're the ones trying to pit people against nature and destroy this piece of legislation. And I think it's very, very sad because um, it kind of has this perception that we can kind of do without nature or that nature is a problem for us. But uh, we all know it's the complete opposite is true. Like, it all comes down to essentially the, the big sticking points and the arguments that we hear back home are in relation to agriculture. Um, and of course, um, part of this framework law touches on many things. But one of the articles is on agricultural ecosystems. So in it, it has some uh, indicators that member states have to achieve at national level and uh, where they have to get increasing trends. Yeah. I know I was reading, I was, I was going to ask you about that. That's, ex that's exactly what I focused in on. Um, and that there are targets, immovable targets within this. And the immovable targets seem to be the key sticking point. Am I right about that, Daniel? Yeah, so there's basically, as I said, it's a framework here. So it's not a characteristic piece of legislation. It's about setting up a framework where there's EU targets for most, the most part. If you look at rivers, for example, there's an EU target of 25,000 rivers to be restored. There's plenty of other EU targets. And that's just about member states contributing to that in whatever way they can. But there are some targets that go directly to member states. So one of those is on peatlands and rewetting. So that's the one that has a lot of attention back home. And then there's other obligations that aren't targets per se that are also applying to member states. But uh, the really important thing to know about this, uh, so it sets these targets EU level, some at member state level, but then the, the main thing, the whole governance of this is that member states have to go back once this becomes law and they have to create nature restoration plans. So they have to lay out, they have to do socioeconomic assessments, they have to figure out all the financing, they have to engage with stakeholders. And they have to put together their own nature restoration plan. And that will detail how they're going to achieve, um, achieve well, contribute yeah, so, to a lot so, of these so, targets so, so, and achieve so, so, the national targets. We see this in, in the EU in many ways. The EU says to you, you know, by hook or by crook, we want you to adhere to some ex fiscal compact. We don't care whether you spend the money on hospitals or you spend it on Diet Coke. But you have to adhere to the rules. Go away and come back with how many diet cokes you want and how many hospitals you want. And and and, and but they but that is the that is the truth. Yeah, exactly. And like this is a regulation, so people have to think a regulation is a top down kind of thing from the EU. But actually, this is about the, the EU saying these are the targets. Put together your plans and contribute to them. So it's really Can, a huge amount of this is what will member states do? What will Ireland do? after this and it will need to make it a fair and, and, and I, think just plan, you know. I think it's important I want to ask you because you were one of the people negotiating this so can I ask you yeah. about the, the the line that's going around that there's been no there's been no impact assessment done is that true oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that Tony because it's actually one that drives me particularly mad because there is literally 700 pages of impact assessments done for this framework law now one thing that's the reason that's being said 
Now, we all know this delay tactics and they get very creative. There's all sorts of things. You, see, you hear some really nice lines of pleasantries towards biodiversity protection, but the reality is pure opposition. But this one, um, what I hear from MEPs, Irish MEPs who are being quite disingenuous about this, is that there's the no... Just out of nowhere, I want to say to Colin Markey's name, but you go ahead and continue then. <laughs> yeah, so th this line is being used, uh, no impact assessment, because they're demanding, demanding that the European Commission do an impact assessment of what this would mean specifically on Ireland and on Irish rural life and Irish agricultural, uh, um, Irish agriculture, everything like this. But the problem with that, the problem with that demand is, as I said, this is a framework where member states make up their own plans. Now, the member states can decide to reach them in a variety of different ways. They can do a, a load of different things. So the impacts totally depend on what the member state decides to actually do. And that's within the planning process in the article on the plan. So it's a really redundant argument. And the, the, the actual framework of it has 700 pages of impact assessment to justify why this is a good option for law, for people, for biodiversity. And that this is the right course of action at EU level. And like one thing in the left is like, of course, in the left, we're often very skeptical about EU law. We actually think um, it's important to keep some <laughs> competences at national level. And this is actually quite an impressive piece of law. To, uh, it's about planification. It's about actually letting member states sort yeah. things out ahead and, and, and you did make it clear how they reach it. You know, you, you did mention rivers, but I mean. It's also stuff like restoration of uh, pollinator populations. Yeah. You know, who doesn't want bees? What farmer doesn't want pollinators? You know, again, it's about it's how the argument is being framed. And I do think you're correct about that. Yeah, totally. what, are, what for you are the key, the key elements that just have to get across the line? So one thing I didn't really get to explain yet is uh, the process of where we're at with this. Um, and I guess my main concern speaking to you today is that we're not going to have any legislation. This well, is going to die. Well, can I come in and say the reason we know it's potentially going to die is because uh, the um, <laughs> we're, we're sitting here and we know that uh, Timmermans himself, Mr. EVP, has made comments saying, look, it's too late in the day to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. which means, you know, kick it into the next term is, is kind of the message in, in some ways. Is, am I being unfair or am I misreading the tea leaves? <laughs> um, a little bit. Sometimes I don't know whether to be hopeful or to be in complete despair. But basically, I wouldn't be talking to you today about another piece of legislation. I'm talking to you today about this because I'm very worried about it. I work on a lot of different legislation. This one, my own reading is that with the current numbers, um, the parliament will probably reject the whole proposal or will fail to adopt position. And that a huge part of that is to do with misunderstandings, intentional and unintentional of what the law is. Um, so just in terms of where we're at. So um, today is the 26th of June. Next week, we have our um, final uh, meeting between the negotiators to conclude the text in the Envy Committee, the Environment Committee, which is the lead one on this. Then we have a vote on the 15th of June. Um, which is when we need people to actually mobilize, to actually contact their MEPs about information on this, to express what they want from it. Um, because that's going to be a crucial vote. If it fails there, that's the end of it. If it passes there, then it goes to a plenary vote with the 700 or so members voting on it. So all the MEPs will vote probably in July. And if that's successful, now I'm touching all the wood around me, <laughs> that would mean um, that we could go into negotiations in September with the council and for people to know about the EU uh, process for making law. We have 
negotiations between the council and the parliament and within hopefully around six months we come to a common position and hopefully that's the agreed law and so and and, and that's best case scenario that's if everything goes as it should. <laughs> yeah, but, now, but, but, as, but you, know. you keep referencing the opposition. Where are the where's the main opposition coming from? So um the main opposition has been from the EPP group, that's Finnegale's group. I'm shocked. Group. I'm shocked. <laughs> the largest um the largest group in the European Parliament. And as I said, there's been this quite change in the political context over the past year or so. Um, which is really, really sad. Um, they say this thing of we've agreed to the core of the Green Deal, but the rest is a burdensome on farmers. It's not good for them, for the economy. Total lies, total things that are actually, basically what they say is always off at this stage, the opposite is true. And uh, one thing you pointed out, Martin, which I think is a fun one as well, about pollinators, so about bees. We all love bees. P- bees yeah. If you talk about saving bees, we people get mobilized. They're absolutely obsessed with this. Now, this law has a little article about stopping the decline of bees that's the obligation it's to stop them from falling off a precipice it's not to get them to some crazy high levels of back to life this is the obligation is to stop them from declining so this is such a basic and important obligation and epp is taking a militant stance guess, uh, guess but that's that's an, it's an agricultural imperative mm, it's an agricultural yeah. imperative to have pollinators Absolutely, yeah. without a doubt, to have pollinators. I mean, I, I do that one in particular. You know, just really hits me. How could you argue about at least trying to maintain the level of pollinators we have at the moment, which we know is in decline? Yeah, no, exactly. So, like, that's something so essential and basic within this law, and yet we have massive opposition. Uh, the main opposition from them is. <laughs> funnily enough about food security so like you just said how many of our crops are dependent on pollinators that's around 75 percent of them and yet they're saying that the obligations in this are threatening our european food security which is just wild so it's absolutely mental stuff i'm up against here in the european parliament this is what i'm imagine imagine we're looking at that and they're saying that you know we can we're upset about the pollen that you want to to increase the amount of pollinators available but we also have Protect this food security, which is actually really bloody vulnerable at the moment. We spoke yeah. to people, experts on 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 food chains, global food chains, and how you know it doesn't make sense for us to be feeding you know effectively. What what was it, John Gibbons called it, Martin? Feeding fossil fuels to calf to, yeah. to cattle in order to feed ourselves. Like you know, it's 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 yeah. it's it's just it doesn't make sense. And eventually, we yeah. will we will extract ourselves to death. But um, I, I the other concerns that that have been raised what do you like outside of the the you know that we need this assessment what other kind of misinformation and and disinformation should we should we should we debunk here totally so the food security one is the key one because the opposite is true like i was saying there's plenty of of research to say um that the food security requires bringing nature back into agricultural ecosystems and one that you also touched on uh, which is important for people to know and, and it's a procedural one is this idea of, oh, send it back to the drawing board or we need to send it back to the commission and we need something else. That isn't going to happen. This is the legislative proposal. We are the drawing board in the European Parliament and the Council. We're the ones who actually amend it. We can change the whole piece of legislation. If I wasn't happy with this, I could change the whole thing as a politician. Um, I could make the biodiversity law look like what I want it to look like. Now, 
we only have three Irish members who actually amended this in the leading committee. That's Mick Wallace, Claire Daly, and Grace O'Sullivan. None of the others did. So this idea of send it back, we don't like it. They need to start from scratch is completely nonsense. So that and the commission has also said from the very beginning and also repeated now that they are not going to be doing another proposal. It doesn't make any sense. They've put, done all the impact assessment. This is what they're going to put down and this is our chance to do it. So that that's something that's really important to, to get procedurally. Another thing that I've heard, which is another wild one, is that this would impact our ability to build houses or build hospitals or urban development. Now, I've heard a few things in this parliament, but this is probably one of the the loopiest ones that's going around. So within Article 4 and 5 of this regulation, and for people to know, they should also look at the text. You can get a type in nature restoration law on Google, click the first link that comes up. There's a hyperlink in there. You'll see the text because, and also for journalists, the, the media has been absolutely woeful on this. Tony, I'm sure you've seen just, they don't even know how to quote from what's actual, actually in the proposal and they quote what people say. But in the Article 4 and 5, um, there is literally a derogation about overriding public interest, which means anything, because the member state decides what that is. Mm. So if a member state wants to do a renewable energy project in a protected area, or if they want to do a hospital or something, they can do whatever the hell they like. That is so fundamental. And then the other thing is in Article 6, which is on urban ecosystems. There is an obligation here for member states to actually increase the amount of green space they have in urban areas. Now, some members seem to think that that means we can't build houses. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, green space, and it's also defined in the regulation, by the way, you look at Article 3, where definitions are, is also about green roofs, green to- um, green walls, on uh, about green canopies. It's very to refer to is in one of the in one of the pieces as well that we're looking at it. So you know if you you can you can have an urban area, but you can still have bloody trees in it. You can have yeah. an urban area, and, and you'll know this if you go to cities like we go to Strasbourg every month, for instance. Um, that's where the head of the parliament is, and it's a beautiful city because it's so green. There's beautiful canals going through it as well. There's trees everywhere. It's still a very quite a was compact it, city. So, <laughs> was it Strasbourg recently that that rolled out about a kilometer and a half along one of the banks where they put little little uh, beds like um, uh, wild um, bee bomb type beds along the side of the yeah. banks of this? So it's you know so yes all of, so that's not actually stopping people building houses. It's just making your walk from your house to your office much more pleasant. It's making it and like that's what I mean about this regulation being about quality of life. People are saying it's about nature. It's like it's actually not so altruistic. We seem to think that nature is its own thing, but it's really about giving us a pleasant quality of life. Who doesn't want more parks in places where they live? Who doesn't want more green space, more trees? So I don't know. It's 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 quite worrying these these uh, lies, and they're full on lies being told. And I, but uh, oh, I mean okay. that's another one. So uh, another one that has to be touched on, I guess, is peatlands. We can probably talk a bit about that as well. We'll get to that. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Mark. Coming to peatlands, go ahead, please. On yeah. <laughs> so everything in Ireland is about peatlands, um, and it's good to have the discussion now. So a nine four nine article nine four is where there's this obligation of peatlands. Now I've heard Irish members stand up in the plenary in the Parliament here saying all of Ireland's peatlands will be rebutted with this piece of legislation, which is totally a lie and it's actual complete scaremongering to the Irish population. And the, the, the really sad truth about it is we get contacted by people who are genuinely fearful 
they are worried. They think that this is going to have horrendous implications on rural Ireland. And that is really sad and it shouldn't be like this. And the Irish government has totally failed as well on an informational point here to actually I, communicate. I, I challenge you back and say fail. You, you say failed. I'd say intentionally um, <laughs> le- uh, misrepresented the, the what was actually what's actually proposed. Like it's 30% of areas by 2030, a quarter of them re-wetted, 50% by 2040, half re-wetted, and 70% by 2050 with at least half re-wetted. And these are, these are not, this is not saying, you know, th- there's no, I don't see the word all there. These are identified areas, particularly in relation to, you know, common bird species, bird species. And we only have to look at the report in the last few days that shows we are losing birds at a rate of knots. I mean, there's just no, there's no yeah, reason not to do this. It's crazy. Some really sad um, new scientific evidence coming up about how desperate things are. And I really hope that we're kind of coming to a better collective consciousness about that. But in terms of peatlands, like you touched on some of the targets there. So just speaking about the commission pr- proposal, um, it's only related to uh, peatlands under organic, um, sorry, under agricultural use. That's the target. So it's around 320,000 hectares of that are um, in Ireland. So that if it was a 100% target, it would be 320,000 hectares. The target for 2030 for rewetting applies to 25,000 hectares of, of that. 2040 is 83,000 hectares and 2050 is 116,000 hectares. We also know that the council, like I said, they have to come up with their own position. They should be adopting it within a month's time, their common approach. They, we know from many sources, have dramatically reduced these numbers. Um, So we're looking at around probably 80,000 hectares for a 2040, for a 2050 target, excuse me. So what that would mean is that we wouldn't have to rewet any agricultural land. So just for people to know, well, people do know in Ireland, sorry, I always forget, sometimes I forget my context, but in Ireland, we all know that farmers, um, around 6% of our agricultural land is drained peatland. So that uh, means ditches have been uh, dug, there's drains put in, and the, the wet land has become a dried land. Um, and these lands are constantly degrading. They're getting, uh, they're shrinking because they've lost their hydrological structure. Uh, they're losing uh, fertility and, and soil properties because they're, they're not in their natural state. And they're emitting a huge amount of emissions, which people will be more familiar with. So in the EU, we're talking about 3% of EU uh, agricultural land, but 25% of EU agricultural emissions. So this is a bit of a no-brainer as well in terms of emissions. And um, they, do, they already do stuff with bogs that's, that's completely off the wall, like plant sitka spruce in it you know so exactly yeah and that that's even worse for the for the environment now so it, there's so many so many things that are so wrong and it just shows you how much change we need but um the irish minister for agriculture um actually said our friend charlie yeah he said that all of the targets so these targets as i said should are in relation to drain peatlands and their agricultural use now, there's two flexibilities in that article on 9.4, meaning that peat extraction sites and forestry, like you just touched on, Martin, they, those two sectors can also contribute to the achievement of those targets. So it's not really, a, it's more of a peatlands target in general, rather than an agricultural use peatlands target, let's let's say it that way. And the, as Charlie McConnell, the Minister for Agriculture, has said that the targets in this law and the council position can be achieved without touching any agricultural land. So that's the position of the council. And yet we have mem- members of parliament 
scaring the living daylights out of people in rural Ireland with this intent, with this idea that this is going to be mandatory rewetting of all agricultural land. This is the kind of stuff we're hearing here, which is ludicrous. Now, one thing to say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking a load, but it's because I've really been working on this for so long and I'm in meetings day in, day out on the details of this. But one thing to say is that the agriculture sector will have to do something like, and that doesn't mean that they'll be forced to do anything. There's nothing in this framework law about forcing anyone to do anything. And that goes for all the targets. It's about setting EU level targets and member state targets and the member states make their plans and they're going to detail out how those plans will be met. So what do you think the Irish government is going to do? They're going to set up their plan. They'll say 80,000 hectares will be covered by Borden and Mona because that's how much um, degraded peatlands they have. And that would be an easy one because they're already starting to do that. They've already promised to do that. 30,000 hectares can be covered by Quilcha because they've already committed to that, the Irish Forestry state, uh, state body. So that's already how much we covered there already. That's already 110,000 hectares. So that's already the 2050 target almost from the commission proposal. That, so that's ludicrous amounts of already work overachievement. And, so that's, and then the rest of it will have to also come from agriculture. And that will have to be done with incentives. It'll have to be voluntarily undertaken by landowners, farmers. And it'll have to be done for good reason. They'll be doing it because they should be financially better off doing uh, this, it. Because this is where we come in with just transition. This is where the Absolutely. just transition element belongs. You can't just hound people off the land and say, that's you, you're done, Buster. You're yesterday's news. It totally. has to be a just transition. Yeah, exactly. And that's the idea, the idea of the plans means that there's so much planification in this that even, and there's public participation in how the plans are made that it has to be a just transition. There cannot be a situation where we're at 2029 Irish government is freaking out and they're trying to fill the targets and they start flooding farms. Like that's not possible within the framework of this law. It'll have to be planned. It'll have to be programs set out and there'll have to be incentives and it'll have to be the development of an, an economic system where this was going to be a better solution for farmers than grazing on these drain peatlands. Yeah, um, and it shows where, where you need to give, uh, the words you use is incentives and making sure people can either move to other industries if, or if they choose to, they become stewards of the land in different capacities and they, they work through. keep using the land as well. A really Absolutely. important point is that this regulation isn't about nature protection or keep cutting off nature or leave, getting out of it. It's actually about still using things. It's about keeping economic uh, usage of land and, and, and biodiversity. So mm -hmm. even with rewetting peatlands, it's really important that we also develop polluted culture. And Ireland, we don't have much polluted culture developed yet. We should because it's such a huge part of our landscape. And this is, means that we can actually start making peatlands and wet, wet lands actually productive if we wanted to. We should also leave some unproductive, of course. But yeah. Can I yeah. can I ask? Sorry, one thing on on the on the general spread again to bring it back domestically. The obviously we referenced the EPP, but there's also dissension amongst other um, Irish MEPs. Is there about peatlands? No, about the actual the actual bill itself. About the the the, the entire yeah, strategy we'll, plan. We'll see in July with the plenary vote what all the Irish MEPs do. Um, I'm hoping that they'll all vote in favour. I know there is a lot of concerns about peatlands. The, the Environment uh, Committee is basically landing on the same ambition like I just described from the Commission proposal. So really, none of them 
can go around saying things that this is way too ambitious or it's going to be putting Ireland in a, in a very difficult situation or that rural Ireland will be destroyed. It won't. Oh, the impact assessment is there. It's all in, in the impact assessment, page 480, if people are interested. So I'm really hoping that the, the hysteria around the implications of this will actually stop and the, the positive implications of having this in place will be starting to be understood. It is it is funny to me when we we look at say you you can go down to the to the Google Docs. There's one of the large buildings down there at the moment on one of the large skyscrapers. The 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 glass boxes that we've built and they've put the whole garden on the roof. You know they're a bit of uh, they're a bit of greening and they can call that corporate social responsibility. You know the idea then that we try and do that for people who live in the cities and the towns and and let them have nice things. And people are saying, "Well, that's just going to make it harder to build homes." It's kind of crazy, you know. We're probably giving we're probably giving that organisation I'm referring to are probably paying no more than two percent tax in the country at the moment, and yet here we here we go having this argument that you can't have nice things and they can have a garden on their on their skyscraper roof. I want to ask the doomsday question, if you don't mind. Um, what happens if it fails? Um, if it fails, um, so one thing I did mention as well is that what makes this particularly embarrassing is that the European Parliament and the European Council have called for this law to exist. We've made numerous calls and resolutions calling on the Commission to give us a nature restoration law, with, including with targets on peatlands. This is in a biodiversity strategy report 2021 in the COPS resolution 2020. So if we don't actually manage to do this, that's really shocking. <laughs> like We've actually called for this piece of legislation. If it's rejected in the Environment Committee, essentially that's the end of it, unless there can be some sort of political motivation to re bring it back from the from the dead. But a rejection is a rejection, and that means the piece of legislation is dead. And I think a huge responsibility will fall on the members who have actually spread a load of disinformation around this, including Irish members. And one thing to remember as well, um, like we're, the, the, a lot of the fear is around... Um, this legislation being difficult for farmers, more burdensome for farmers, more obligations, more this, that. It's being a stick. It's not a stick, of course. The thing that we need to remember is also the broader picture. So this right-wing um, huge faction I was saying, they're very much focused on this, trying to kill this and say, we're standing with farmers. Look at us tackling this piece of administrative burden. But they're also the same ones who are voting in favor of Mercosur to shaft these farmers to flood the market with Brazilian beef. They're also the ones not doing anything about fair prices for farmers and their food because farmers are having to compete in a globalized market where all they can do, uh, do is produce export commodities that have to compete on the international market. They're not doing anything about unfair um, practices or about rural depopulation or about farm, the small farms being bought out. So the ones actually shafting the farmers are absolutely the right wing and the liberals and Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, absolutely. And this piece of legislation is actually, the, the reality of it is it's actually a piece of hope for farmers, especially small farmers, because a lot of them, they might not even know it, but they're already doing nature restoration. They're the ones with nature in their agricultural ecosystems. They're the ones who will already be contributing to these targets without having to lift a finger. So we really need to remember that this is something about the viability of rural life in Ireland. It's about actually making sure that we don't get impacted by climate as we as we are at the moment. You might have seen what's happening in Italy right now in the bread basket of Italy. In Spain, we have uh, after a month of yeah. 
desperate droughts, 40 degrees. We now have floods in Murcia. So these places that are big producers of food, like we're talking about uh, saving our agricultural system by not doing anything, by forgetting about climate, by forgetting about nature and restoring habitats and allowing also bogs and uh, habitats to hold water, for instance, we're actually making life way more precarious and risky and difficult for farmers and making adding a huge amount of stress and difficulty to their lives. So it can't be an approach of just giving hands out when there's disasters. That's one thing. We need to actually prevent things. And this is something I guess we should have learned also from COVID, that we need to start thinking, how do we stop these problems from happening? Okay, Fabian. Mm. Call to action, because there's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do something about it. What do people do? What are the practical steps people can take right now? So, as I said, um, this is being reported. Sorry, this uh, file is being dealt with in both the Parliament and the Council. So, there's two prongs to it. Uh, people should contact the Irish government. Um, the minister, Malcolm Noonan, is the Green Party TD responsible, but also the leaders of the other parties because they're also key to weakening the council position, from my understanding. They should contact them to urge support for a strong and ambitious nature restoration law uh, that's fair and and good and implementable and yeah that they can they, we can work with so they need to do that and the, the other thing where it's riskier is here in the European Parliament where we're talking about a matter of one or two votes this is out of 700 members um so if an Irish member votes the wrong way this whole European law mightn't exist anymore. Um, so they need to contact all the Irish members that we have. You can find this on the Europa page that's for European Parliament, all your, your members, not just your local ones, contact them all. Mm. Urge them to vote in favour of having a mandate for negotiations on this. So th what we're going to be voting on isn't going to be the final law. This is going to be what we go in to actually negotiate with a much weaker position in the Council. So people who have, are concerned should actually be rest assured as well if they're scared about the ambition. But yeah, as I said, contact your member and, and tell them to support it. Damien, thank you very much. And as you said, your, your knowledge of this is encyclopedic. Uh, thank you for coming on, explaining to us. And thank you for being frank about the position or, or whatever is going on there in the EU, the, the, the different factions. Thank you for being so frank about that. Um, hopefully, people will answer the, the call to action. But thanks again for coming on and having this conversation with us. It, Absolutely. Th thanks so much. Yeah. I want to I frame it differently if I can at the end. Okay, you may sit around and say, I don't agree with, you know, the, obviously these guys have a similar political leaning. They're, they're all of the left. They're unapologetically of the left and they're putting this forward. In this, the key thing is if you don't care about what we discussed, whether it's, you know, should you have a green canopy in urban areas? Should you have um, more birds, more bees? If you if all that sort of sounds like, you know, woke nonsense, think <laughs> disaster prevention. Think disaster prevention. If we don't do these things, we'll end up paying for it in, in bricks and mortar and pounds and euros and dollars all the way down the, the line because the, the this is the way... Martin, we've spoken about natural flood defences and how they're much more... Um, more I just surprised we haven't done it this summer and had camps at the upper end of the Shannon where young people can go and spend the summer working in the open if they want to and 
you know, get a few bob in their pocket. Ah, just surprise. We're so we, far behind we, the curve. We, we, need to, we need to get real about this because, you know, the, the, the answer with Ireland will be build a bigger wall and to stop the flood as opposed to actually, you know, sowing things upstream to, to prevent that happening. It's just, it, we, we need to cop on. So does disaster prevention also, self-interest comes into it as well. Absolutely. So, look, we'll leave it there, folks. Thanks, Damien, for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, we have, as you look, folks, we have a ton of content coming out, but this one is a call to action. Uh, the link that Damien referenced there for the European Parliament, your representatives, it's in this podcast now. So all you got to do is click on it and then send and send it that, that way. Uh, we'll, we'll go Tell them there. you want a nature restoration law, and if they fail to do this, they're a disgrace. Here, <laughs> uh, here. Hear. We'll we leave it there, folks. We'll talk to you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.